the 23rd of August. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Since so many people are going back to school, we'll pray Thomas Aquinas's prayer for students. Come Holy Spirit, divine creator, true source of light and fountain of wisdom. Pour forth your brilliance upon my dense intellect. Dissipate the darkness which covers me, that of sin and ignorance. Grant me a penetrating mind to understand, a retentive memory, method and ease in learning the lucidity to comprehend, and abundant grace in expressing myself. Guide the beginning of my work, direct its progress, and bring it to successful completion. I ask this through Jesus Christ, true God and true man, living and reigning with you and the Father, Holy Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for all those, teachers and students and parents, and administrators and everybody involved in the faculty and staff and parishes that help support Catholic schools and schools of any kind, homeschoolers. We'll just wrap everybody up into this uh, this prayer this morning because this is that time of year. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Uh, we will talk to Dr. John Bergsma about the Song of Songs in our ongoing discussion with him of his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Father Rob Jack will talk about more Old Testament stories everyone should know, and if you've ever read the book of Judges, you might have noticed a pattern. We'll talk about that pattern this morning with Father Rob. Gary Zimak will discuss uh, how Jesus comforts those who are grieving, and then Mike Aquilino will talk about Jerusalem and its uh, position geographically and historically, but also symbolically in the life of the Jewish people and in the life of Christians by extension. So, stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Much of the central United States is dealing with an extremely dangerous heat dome, forecasters say. Today's high temperatures could top 100 degrees in certain areas from the Midwest to the Gulf Coast. Major cities under extreme heat alerts this week include Dallas, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, Louisville, and Nashville. Schools in Chicago announced that all outdoor games scheduled for today and tomorrow have been canceled due to the heat. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and entrepreneur Vivek Ramswamy will stand center stage during tonight's presidential debate in Milwaukee. Mark Mayfield reports. While DeSantis is considered to be the strongest candidate to challenge the party's frontrunner Donald Trump, Recent polls have shown Ramaswamy edging closer to DeSantis for the number two spot. An Emerson College poll showed the two tied at 10% support each, trailing Trump, who leads with 56% support. Trump has decided to skip the debate and has instead recorded an interview with former Fox News host Tucker Carlson. I'm Mark Mayfield. Reports suggest former Trump attorney and former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani will surrender himself today in the Georgia election interference case. ABC News is reporting Giuliani will head to Atlanta alongside former New York City Police Commissioner Bernard Carrick, who will assist Giuliani through the process. Giuliani's lawyers will reportedly try to work with DA Fonnie Willis on a bond package beforehand. 
Indiana's ban on abortions is now in effect. The Indiana Supreme Court announced Monday that it was denying a rehearing on the new abortion restrictions. That decision was then certified, allowing the law to go into effect. Abortion is now banned with exceptions to prevent the death of a mother in cases of rape or incest up to 10 weeks into pregnancy or in the cases of fatal fetal anomalies up to 20 weeks into pregnancy. Bishops in India are appealing to the United Nations to intervene to stop recurring anti-Christian violence. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In the statement, the Kerala Catholic Bishops' Council decried that Christians are increasingly becoming the target of riots and mob attacks in India and Pakistan. The statement referred in particular to the latest incidents in Indian Manipur state and in the Pakistani province of Punjab. Sectarian violence, mostly targeting tribal Kuki Christians, has been engulfing Manipur for more than three months, claiming nearly 200 lives and displacing over 50,000 people. During the violence, which erupted on May the 3rd, hundreds of churches and other Christian institutions, including schools, have been torched. The riots add to the some 400 incidents of targeted attacks against Christians in India in the first half of 2023, most of which under false allegations of religious conversion. In Jaranwala, Pakistan, more than 80 Christian homes and 19 churches were reportedly vandalized by Muslim mobs on August 16th following false allegations of Quran desecration. The violence was the latest in a long string of attacks against Christians in Pakistan who are regularly victimised by the abuse of the highly controversial blasphemy laws, punishing individuals for allegedly offending, insulting or denigrating Islam and the Prophet. In the face of this situation, the Kerala bishops urged the United Nations to take decisive actions to protect Christians in India and Pakistan from this kind of attacks. The appeal came ahead of the International Day commemorating the victims of acts of violence based on religion or belief, which is observed annually on the 22nd of August. The Biden administration is announcing a new income-based student loan repayment plan, the Saving on Value Education Plan, also known as SAVE, will allow more borrowers to qualify for $0 monthly payments. Any individual making less than $32,800 a year and any family of four making less than $67,500 per year will have $0 payments. The news comes just weeks before interest will start accruing on student loans for the first time in more than three years, borrowers can visit the federal student aid website to apply for the program. And a new survey indicates one in three Americans have a tattoo. Those doing the tattooing say the growing popularity is driven in part by social media. The survey done by Pew Research found the most common reason to get a tattoo was to remember someone or something One in three people say they got their ink to improve their appearance. Oh. Well, Anna Mitchell, I actually do not have any tattoos despite, you know, all my rock and roll Mm -hmm. world. You know, there were situations where I was often the only guy in the band who didn't have a tattoo. 
Oh, and I've thought about it over the years, um, actually. And I've known some people who had some really cool ones. And I, I thought, you know, I'm, I might, I might actually, you know, I know I'm in my mid forties. I might get a tattoo. I might get a tattoo because it's less likely that it will. I'll get to age eighty and it'll be all faded because I got it late. <laughs> so, can I tell you what I? Okay, this is just this is just anecdotal. So, okay. but I would say that. In my experience, when I know someone who recently got a tattoo, do you know where they got it? Uh, in the, in the Holy Lombard Land. Region? No, in oh. the Holy Land. <laughs> in the Lombard region. Good grief, Matt Swaim. That's <laughs> I hilarious. Know it's all it would only be on a discussion like this. I've known, that I we know a guy who just went to the Holy Land and got a Crusader cross. Our our minds usually work in tandem. <laughs> That was all. So I will just say this, Hannah Mitchell. Every now and then I think about getting a tattoo, and then I go to a theme park or a county Have you fair. Ever... And then you're like, no. Or a music festival. I'm I don't like, know if he's listening right now, but Father Rob Jack is going to be on the show in a little bit. Do you know what he always says would be the best tattoo? Uh, I don't know. The verse and the word was made flesh. Oh, see, there you go. Because... Will, ah, my husband it. Will, when he was in seminary, had Father Rob and really, truly considered getting that tattoo. He didn't, but really considered getting that tattoo after Father Rob suggested it. Just make sure it's spelled right. John one fourteen, and the word was made flesh, literally in a tattoo. Just a thought. Anyway, thanks for listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Did you think you'd be hearing about tattoos? I hope we don't get any angry emails. <laughs> it's nine past. Dr. John Berksma back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics, illustrating God's love for us throughout the Bible. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. You know, you write in the book that that this is one of the most unusual books of the Bible. And, and I mean, that's not just because of what's written, but also— how it's written. How would you describe this book of the Bible from like a literary standpoint? Well, it's a collection of um, love poem vignettes, uh, I would say, kind of um, put together in a, in a way so as to have a loose plot. Um, I think of uh, the Broadway musical Cats, you know, where they <laughs> took uh, the poems of T.S. Eliot and they kind of linked them together <laughs> with a kind of a loose plot. So we got these 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 love poems in uh, in the song that are kind of linked, and you can kind of see a progression through. Um, but it's a little bit, you know, disjointed, and um, uh, it, it can switch quite quickly from one perspective to another. And um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it is remarkable. It is unusual, but it's become one of my favorite books of the Bible. Well, I love the allusion to cats. Could you also do like Mamma Mia? You know, they take all the ABBA songs oh, and, and string definitely. together a plot based on the, yeah. yeah, just to be able to include all of the wonderful ABBA songs that people want to hear. Would say. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody wants to hear ABBA songs. So. <laughs> I know I do. That is for sure. <laughs> well, um, as we look at this book kind of as a whole first, I mean, who are the characters that we meet in the Song of Songs? And can you kind of take us through this loose plot? Sure. So it's, um, you know, it could be performed as like a musical. You know, you have basically what, what you'd need is is four voices. You'd need the voice of the bridegroom. He has a 
singing part, and the bride has a part as well. She has the most lines. And you need a narrator, um, a voiceover kind of guy, and then a chorus made up of women uh, who are the girlfriends of the bride or the bridesmaids, and they're often referred to as the daughters of Jerusalem. So if you have those parts, you could really perform this, and it has been performed, and you can kind of divide out uh, who's saying what as you move through. How it begins, um, Anna is kind of with a chorus um, uh, with a lot of chatter and conversation on the day of a royal wedding. And then you shift into a kind of a daydream where the bride uh, imagines eloping with her bridegroom. And then you get an actual dream sequence where she's on her bed by night and has this kind of nightmare where she can't find her beloved but goes out into the streets. But eventually she finds him, so it's a nice resolution. And at the center of the book, you have a vision of Solomon and his bride coming up into Jerusalem on their wedding day in, in a kind of a, 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 a wedding litter, you know, kind of one of these rooms on poles carried by men. And mm-hmm. we have a beautiful conversation inside of that bridal litter uh, on their wedding day. And then we kind of back out and we have uh, another dream sequence and a, another daydream. And then everything kind of wraps up at the end with more conversation, a little bit of philosophical reflection, you might say, on the nature of love. And then the wedding party arrives at the bride's house to take her away. And the last thing we see in the book is the bridal, the uh, groomsmen and the groom crying out, Uh, to the bride, and she answers them, and we're right on the cusp of the wedding. Cool. Okay. I want to get to that end part in in a second, but there are a couple of lines you point out that that show up twice in the Song of Songs, which I think is probably a pretty good indicator that they are important lines. It says, Oh, that his left hand were under my head, and that his right hand embraced me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the hinds of the field, that you stir not up nor awaken love until it please. Can you unpack what this means? Sure. So this actually occurs uh, three times. Oh, three times. Yeah, three times with a little bit of variation in the song. And one thing is it gives the whole song a kind of dreamy quality, and that's kind of characteristic. This isn't, it's, for the most part, the song is not taking place in real time. It's uh, dreams and daydreams in anticipation of the bride's wedding. Secondly, there's a double meaning at the end when it says, do not awaken love until it please. On the one hand, that, that means, you know, don't arouse the passions of love before the proper time, which is just prudent. Mm-hmm. But it also um, refers to the bride herself, because in the Hebrew language, uh, love is a feminine noun, and it can be used to mean loved one with reference to the bride. And it's actually a self-reference. She's saying, don't wake me up until it's time. Let me have these sweet dreams of my upcoming wedding, and uh, you know, don't disturb me before it's time. So you have that as well. And in the Jewish tradition, Anna, this was read as the people of Israel 
uh, waiting in hope for the coming of their bridegroom, Messiah, waiting in eager expectation. And that's indeed how the song is used, especially surprisingly, in the Gospel of John, where we have many references to this because John sees Jesus as that bridegroom Messiah that bride Israel had been waiting for for so long. Wow, super cool. Well, talk about, to to close our conversation today, the wedding imagery at the end of this book. Yes, we have a, a beautiful call and response at the end where the groom's party has arrived. This kind of thing took place at night, typically with uh, torches and so on. And they arrive at the bride's home and they cry out. And, uh, and the, the bridegroom says, uh, my companions are listening for your voice. Uh, let me hear it. Basically, they're looking for her and they're saying, hey, you know, tell us where you are. We're, we've arrived to take you for the, to the wedding party. And, uh, and she cries out in response and says, um, uh, make haste, my beloved, and be like the gazelles on uh, the mountains of spices, something to that effect. In other words, she's crying out and saying, here I am, here I am, take me away. And so we see uh, the groom's party coming to receive the bride, and they're calling back and forth and urging one another to make haste. And that's the way that the book of Revelation ends as well, Anna. And it's really the cry of God's people saying, you know, come Lord Jesus, uh, come back and receive us. We're so eager to enter into heaven and have that, that spousal embrace with our God and with our beloved uh, for all eternity. So we call that eschatological or looking forward to the future. But it's very sweet, and it connects up with the book of Revelation. Wow, very cool. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Dr. John Bergsma. You can find his book, Love Basics for Catholics, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Back after this, it's 18 past. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Are you looking for peace, longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Hey, Alexa, how many ways can I get EWTN? You can get EWTN on television, via cable and satellite, on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Google Play. You can get EWTN radio in your car on Sirius XM Channel 130 and on the go on any mobile device with the EWTN app. And here's the best news. Now you can get EWTN's great programming on me. Actually, today, Anna Mitchell, the programming's on me. Oh, good. I got it covered. Thanks, man. I'll pick up this tab. I'll tell, I'll tell our boss. Yeah, tell him it's on me today. Nice. 
19 past, here's Anna with headlines. Much of the central U.S. is dealing with what forecasters are calling an extremely dangerous heat dome. Indiana's ban on abortion is now in effect, and Cardinal Timothy Dolan will be in Northern Ireland this weekend to preside at a mass of Thanksgiving to commemorate tomorrow's 150th anniversary of the dedication of St. Patrick's Cathedral in Armagh. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And a reminder, as you head back into your routines for the school year, uh, a lot of you are back from vacation for good now, and you're going to start getting into an actual, like, somewhat of a recognizable schedule. Yeah, today so, is like, Roma's first day. So, yeah, and we got, uh, I know, our first, first day of school's next week. So I would just say, while you're in that routine of getting everything set up, don't forget to include regular contributions monthly contributions to your local catholic radio station yes. are hugely helpful because it helps us be able to predict expenses so listen for the breaks for the contact info of your local catholic radio station and show them a little support school time and back to a busier morning routine if you're going to need some help to get going get yourself a few bags of mystic monk coffee and when you go to the mystic monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase while you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack. Please join with me now in this prayer for priests. God, our Father, you entrust your priests with the care of your people. Through their teaching, leading, and sanctifying, they gather your church into one body and strengthen her in her evangelical mission. Bless our priests and bishops, especially those for whom we now pray. Give them the grace to be effective witnesses of your mercy, love, and truth. Bless those priests who suffer from sickness and disease, both in mind and body. Bless our dying priests. May they offer their sufferings for the good of all your people and find healing and consolation in this life, if it be your holy will. Bless those priests who have failed and suffer hardship. Send them your spirit of forgiveness and help them to turn again to you. Lord, deepen our love for our priests. Lord, inspire many young men to answer your call to the priesthood. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Rob Jack from Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Radio. Heard afternoons on uh, all the affiliates of that station based out of Cincinnati. He's a priest of the Archdiocese. Father Rob, good morning. Morning, Matt. So we get to talk today about the Book of Judges, and there are a lot of uh, pretty incredible stories in the Book of Judges. But if you're not paying close attention, you might miss the fact that all of them kind of follow something of a pattern. I wonder if you could share that with us. You know, what we see is the book of Judges comes about, Israel has now made an end of the promised land. Joshua has died, and now they're trying to set up their kingdom. And the original plan of the kingdom, of course, was that they would all serve the Lord. 
what they didn't realize is how hard it was going to be to serve the Lord. And this really is what the book of Judges is talking about. Wait, are we talking about, about the Judges, or are we talking about you and I right now? Pretty much the same thing. You That's know, what this I thought. Is, this yeah. is the thing about the great thing about the book of Judges. It foretells really the, the state of the human race uh, until Christ comes to fulfill. And even though Christ has fulfilled all things, we're still going through the struggles that Israel has gone through. It hasn't stopped. You know, when we think about it, God promised, it took him 40 years to get him to the promised land. They got there. And then it was the land flowing with milk and honey. God would take care of them. God, But they, on the other hand, because they had come in and with the Canaanite people, they fell in to the pagan gods. In other words, all the blessings that they received, they began to take for granted. They began to take the credit for it and recognize that it wasn't God who did it, but because of all the people they were living around, they took on some of their culture, some of their pagan religion. And as a result of this, we begin to see this, what I call a biblical cycle of salvation, which is still playing out today. Now, the first stage is the blessings, the flowing milk and honey, the peace, the great, uh, the increase of the tribes. But then there's idolatry and false worship. And when that happens, it gets to the point where if they reject God, then God allows their rejection to have an effect, and they lose the land. And once they lose the land, they're now on the verge of giving, of losing everything. And so at this time, God steps in and sends a judge. And these judges are men and women, like Deborah or like Samson or like Gideon, who's in the readings for the Mass this week. And what we see is that God pulled these people out to pull Israel out of its own self-destructive path. But it doesn't last long. And this is the cycle. So we go, as I said, blessings. And then idolatry, loss of the land. Then they cry to the Lord. The Lord hears their cry. They're restored. And when they're restored and rebuilt, it doesn't take long before they go back into the cycle of idolatry and loss of the land. And this is what they're constantly doing in the book of Judges. It's, first of all, it's, it's great reading. But second of all, it teaches us some very, very important lessons about our human life. And you and I, as we were saying, you know, things haven't changed since the time of the judges. No, they haven't changed much. I mean, you talk about these uh, these periods of time in the life of the children of Israel, of the the blessings of God, followed by the forgetting of God and the turning to false idols, then the consequences of that rejection then the realization of those consequences and the realization of the need for help out of them. Uh, I don't know. That sounds like a Tuesday in my world. I mean, it's it it really does. It it really does. And this is really the challenge that we're facing that uh, one of the great gifts of God being intimately involved in our life, which is clear in the old Testament is God is trying to constantly save us from falling off the from running off the cliff, not just falling, running off the cliff. And we see how it is even being carried out today, where we have people running towards artificial intelligence, running towards our idea of, of uh, our strange view of the human person, running towards all of this destruction. And we're seeing the effects of it now in society, and the question is, why is God allowing this to happen? He says God's allowing it to happen because no one is going to the Lord to get help. And this is where the Church comes in, because the Church with Christ has attempted to stop this. 
But see, in the time of Judges, it wasn't the case. The very end of the book of Judges in chapter 21, there is a very sad line. It's, I'm sorry, it's verse 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what he, was, he thought was right in his own eyes. In other words, they, when the tribes had, had not come together, there had been no king because God was to be their king. Everyone was doing things in their own way, which is never a good sign of the formation of the people, just as it is a never a good sign of the sustenance of the church. Yeah, if everybody goes their own way, then uh, we got problems. And, you know, we see echoes of that, right? Uh, there's a great temptation to tribalism in the church to set ourselves off in camps, set ourselves against one another. And, uh, you know, in fact, we're all supposed to be led by the same Lord. And that ought to, that ought to make a difference. Uh, but I wonder if somebody wants to dig into the book of Judges, and they're only going to pick one judge to read about this morning, who would you say to, to pick out? Well, often the one that's probably best known is Samson. And Samson, of course, was the uh, son of, a, of uh, the wife of, the, of Manoah. And Samson, of course, his job was to take on the, on the pagans at the time. And, and God had made him what was called later a Nazarite. In other words, he was to have no strong drink, no razor was ever to touch his head. And the strength he had come from that. And as long as Samson was doing this, he was able to protect Israel and win Israel's battles against the Canaanites. Until, of course, he comes across this uh, young lady whose name is, as you know, Delilah. Delilah. Samson and Delilah, even in, even in the 1950s songs, we hear that, sitting in Delilah. And Delilah then is coached by the enemies to find out where Samson gets his strength. And, of course, Samson uh, tells her, and it comes from his hair. And so one night he falls asleep in her arms, and she shaves the locks from his head. And he thought he had strength, but he didn't anymore. And so now he is, he, they, they uh, treat him badly. They gouge out his eyes, and they have this big party to their god. Samson is there, and he begs the Lord one more time to have strength to conquer his foes. And he has a servant get him between two pillars in this big house. And what happens? He prays the Lord for strength. The Lord gives him that strength so that he's able to push the pillars across, crush the whole building. And he killed more people in that moment who were the pagans than he did in all of his combined battles. And so the judges were in many ways tragic figures. They still didn't learn to trust the Lord. And in the process of this, it's clear for Israel to, to sustain itself as Israel must not lose its identity, just as we, if we're going to remain the church, we can't lose our identity by giving in to worldliness and, and really losing what Christ not only has revealed to us, but more importantly, what he makes available to us through the Holy Spirit. We just aren't asking for the Holy Spirit. Well, hopefully the stories of the judges will help us remember that uh, our sins and failings aren't new, but the solution isn't new either. It's the turn to the Lord. So thanks so much, Father Rob Jack, host of Driving Home the Faith. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Matt. You have a wonderful day. 31 past. Here's Anna with news. Good morning. Harold has been downgraded to a tropical depression after making landfall as a tropical storm in South Texas yesterday. Forecasters say it is still forecast to bring heavy rains and powerful winds to the region as it moves inland. There are chances of local flash flooding. 
More than a million people had been under tropical storm warnings. Harold is expected to dissipate today. It's the second named storm to hit the U.S. this week after tropical storm Hillary brought record-breaking rainfall to Southern California. Meanwhile, much of the central U.S. is dealing with what forecasters are calling an extremely dangerous heat dome. They say today's high temperatures could top 100 degrees in some areas from the Midwest to the Gulf Coast. Former President Trump's arraignment in Georgia is expected to be televised. Brian Shook reports. The judge overseeing his election interference case ruled Tuesday that cameras will be allowed in the courtroom through September 8th. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is pushing to hold the arraignments for all the defendants until after Labor Day. Trump and 18 others were charged last week in connection to alleged efforts to overturn the state's 2020 election results. The former president's expected surrender Thursday is separate from any arraignments. I'm Brian Shook. Republican presidential candidates are facing off on the debate stage in Milwaukee this evening. Eight candidates will be participating in this first debate of the 2024 primary. Cardinal Timothy Dolan will be in Northern Ireland this weekend. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. For the special occasion, the American prelate from St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City will be the main celebrant and preacher at a Mass of Thanksgiving in the cathedral this Sunday at 11. All are welcome to attend the Mass that will be a celebration to give praise and thanks to God for the faith expressed within the cathedral. The foundation stone of the cathedral was laid by Archbishop and Primate William Crawley on St. Patrick's Day in 1840, but all building work was later suspended due to the famine and funds raised were distributed for the relief of the poor. In 1854, work on the cathedral resumed after Easter under the leadership of Primate Joseph Dixon. It was Primate Daniel McGettigan who oversaw the completion of the building and declared Sunday the 24th of August 1873 as the day of opening and dedication. Massive crowds from all over Ireland and beyond attended the opening. Archbishop Eamon Martin has invited the people of Ireland and around the world, especially those whose ancestors contributed to the construction of the cathedral, to join in joyful prayers at Thanksgiving on this special anniversary. The primate of all Ireland and Armagh's archbishop also invited all who wish to attend the celebrations together with the faith community of the archdiocese, representing the many generations who have passed through the doors of the cathedral over the past century and a half. This week, on Thursday, the 24th of August, an outdoor celebration for families will take place in the Shambles Yard in Armagh at the cathedral's main gates after 5 o'clock. For all families throughout the Archdiocese and beyond, there will be music, entertainment, and activities. Groups and organizations from across the Archdiocese will follow bands and procession from the Shambles Yard to the cathedral for evening prayer. During the evening prayer, there will be a special unveiling and dedication of a specially commissioned icon of St. Patrick. After the ceremony, a print of the icon will be presented to each parish of the Archdiocese. It's 35 minutes past... The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. Deepen day by day the resolution to serve God devoutly, to attend to His will, and to be entirely His. Never deceive yourself that you have realized purity of heart unless you are entirely, freely, and joyfully subject to God's holy will in all things, even the most repugnant. Therefore, do not consider so much what you do, but the one who commands you to do them. To be a servant of God consists in being charitable to our neighbor, in being determined to follow God's will, and in putting up with our own imperfections. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Zimak from followingthetruth.com. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So today uh, we're going through, uh, continue to go through your book, When Your Days Are Dark, God is Still Good, and you recount all these scriptural stories of uh, people who are just like you and me who have gone through uh, difficult things, and this is one that unfortunately we've all gone through, which is the death of a loved one. Um, And you've got a couple of instances of this, and uh, a bit of an angle that people might not expect this morning. Uh, which episodes are you looking at from the Gospels? You know, Matt, be- before, I, before I talk about that, I want to say this is uh, probably the toughest chapter in the book that I had to write when you're grieving the, the death of a loved one, because I, I, sometimes you just don't know what to say to someone who is grieving, you know, and it's, uh, it's always difficult. But I felt that the, the Holy Spirit really wanted me to write this chapter, and... Um, let me just read it, then we'll, we'll talk about it. And, and I do pray that whatever you and I say today is going to comfort someone who is really grieving this morning. Um, the, the story in the chapter is based uh, upon uh, an account that Luke writes about in chapter 7 of his Gospel, when Jesus encountered a grieving crowd that was due to a funeral, and what had happened was a woman, a widow, was burying her only son, her only means of support, her son. You know, she has no husband. She has nobody else to support her now. She's grieving the loss, and she is um, she's basically hysterical. And Jesus encounters her in the crowd, and I think that's an important point. That's what really touched me about this. He picks her out of the crowd, and he has pity on her. He stops what he's doing. He has pity on her. And he basically raises the son from the dead, gives him back to her. And, um, you know, it, there's just so many ways we can, we can look at that. And it's not something we would expect to see in our lifetime, that the Lord is going to raise our loved ones from the dead. But I, but I think what's important is that he noticed her grief, and he did something about it. He had pity on her, and he did something about it. 
And then this is the only chapter in the book where I not only look at one story of God working good in a very difficult situation, but I, but I look at two. I also look at the words of Jesus when he recognizes that prior to his death, he recognizes that the apostles are going to grieve for him once he's gone. And he basically tells them, guys, hang in there. Even though you grieve now, there's something better on the way, and we're going to see each other again. And I think when you put these two stories together, we can have hope that our loved ones are going to, are in the hands of the Lord right now. And even though our grief is going to be real, we can't replace them. The Lord can comfort us and also give us the hope that one day not only will we see them again, but they're in his capable hands right now. Well, they're certainly out of ours. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, yeah. that's yeah. about all we know um, in, in regard to this. And the Church you know, calls us to commend them to the Lord. Uh, I mean, that's that's about all we can do, right? But it is a huge thing to commend them to the Lord. I mean, think about the way that a Catholic funeral is structured. Uh, you know, even the way that the Church says, hey, this— the, the Mass here is not for us to talk about our cool memories. The Mass here is to commend this person to the Lord. Um, right. Even in that, that's a that's a way for us to sort of channel our grief um, as an act of love towards the person we've lost. Uh, but, Gary, I don't know about you. I've found um, that there's only one thing that you can do to avoid saying the wrong thing in a situation like that to someone you know and love who's grieving, and that is to not talk at all, right? I mean, mm. there's just such a minefield of of things you can say that are accidentally a pious platitude or or whatever. And in so many of these cases, you see very little. When Jesus comes to a person who's grieving, you don't see much word stuff from him at all, right? And, and in right. the case of Lazarus, he weeps with the people who are there. Right, right. And I, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Matt, and that's what I'm, I've been working on this for years, and I'm starting to realize that, too it's best to just be there for the person to say, I'm sorry, because the words don't matter. You don't want to mislead anybody. The easiest thing to say, and it happens unfortunately too much, is, oh, your loved one's in heaven. Well, as I write in the chapter, we don't know that for sure. We do know that the Lord is merciful, and he's going to give us every chance possible to, to make it to heaven. He's going to give us chance after chance after chance. He wants us to be there. That's what the Bible tells us. But we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, depart from what the church teaches and say, well, they're definitely in heaven. We 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 don't know that. Now, are they in the hands of someone who loves them? Yeah, the, I mean, they're we as you said, we commend them to the Lord. We ask for His mercy. We beg that they will be received into heaven. And that's the beauty of the funeral mass. That's the beauty of being able to have masses said for our deceased loved ones. But ultimately, the best thing we can do for someone is to just be there for them. And I'm sorry goes a long way. That's a good expression of grief. Or is there anything I can do for you? I mean, that's the Lord showed that he, he had mercy on this woman. He, he pitied her. You know, he had compassion on her. And, and that's really the best thing we can do. And as someone who has experienced that when people—I've lost both my parents— and when I've experienced that from others, that their presence, their just, I'm sorry, that goes a long way, and that really did comfort me. Well, and the Lord uh, being with us and being with the person that we've lost, I mean, these are these are things that, that, that help us out, especially because, you know, 
let's be honest, Gary, everybody grieves a little bit differently. You know, some people are not in the mood to hear the funny stories of the funny things that somebody did, right? Some people, that's the only way they can kind of snap out of it and, and really, uh, you know, kind of get that energy and strength to, to, to pray those prayers, committing their loved one to the Lord. We're all kind of wired a little bit differently. And, um, yeah, that's, this is a, it's a lot to, lot to, a lot to chew on, especially, you know, for anybody who's going through this right now and it's really yeah. raw and fresh. And, uh, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not going to discount the fact that somebody might lose somebody today. Right. I mean, this is this yeah. is how life yeah. goes. Um, but uh, if our listeners want to read more uh, of your reflections and thoughts on this and, and read more uh, kind of unpacking of how Jesus treats these situations himself in the Gospels, how do they find your book? Matt, the easiest place is to go to my website, followingthetruth.com. And also, if anybody wants to co- connect with me and, you know, ask me anything about this, talk about it further, they can they can reach me through the website, followingthetruth.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com, uh, along with all the guests that we talk to on a daily basis here on the show. Uh, Gary, as always, appreciate you. Have a wonderful day. All right, brother. Thank you so much. God bless you. All right, coming up next, right after the break, uh, Anna Mitchell will be along, and we are going to chat with Mike Aquilina. Uh, Anna's going to have headlines. Then Mike Aquilina will talk about Jerusalem and its symbolic significance in the Christian imagination. It's a quarter till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. What's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? Why can't women become priests? I don't understand why I have to earn salvation. How is it possible that God created everything? Why do I need to confess my sins to why a priest? Why is the Catholic Church so unwilling to wreck the Catholic Church is too rich? Catholics worship Mary and our community. As far as I'm concerned, all religions are equal. You are called to communion with Dr. David Anders. Today, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Join us to talk all about relationships. We'd love for you to chime in today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 
want to thank you for joining us on this Wednesday, the 23rd of August. Here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Much of the central U.S. is dealing with what forecasters are calling an extremely dangerous heat dome. Indiana's ban on abortions is now in effect today, and bishops in India are appealing to the United Nations to intervene to stop recurring anti-Christian violence. Next newscast at the top of the hour. It's 13 till. The Sunrise Morning Show continues with Mike Aquilina from FathersoftheChurch.com, and there are a bunch of cities that play pretty strongly into the history of the church. We get to talk about Jerusalem today. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. You know, before we get into Jerusalem itself, why is it important for us to care about these cities, these centers? I mean, why does why is knowing geography such an important part of knowing our faith? Well, in part because the heritage comes to us from the cities. I, I mean, that's where they that we had centers of learning. So that's where the documentary record often began, and that's where the documents were preserved. It's not as if nothing was going on out there in, uh, in, in the rural areas, but what we know is largely what we know about the cities. So in order to understand the Christian history that we have, uh, it's good to know the cities in which it was preserved, recorded, uh, and, uh, and, and in which a lot of it took place, actually. Well, Jerusalem at the absolute top of the list. I mean, this is where so many of the events that, uh, you know, that really make our faith what it is took place. Uh, what was Jerusalem like for the for the early Christians? How big of a priority it was it for uh, people to have some sort of a spiritual connection to this place? Well, it was obviously very important, especially to those first Christians. So many of them were Jewish, and they had they had grown up with this reverence for Jerusalem that was that that was indescribable really it, you know the the temple was the only place on earth where you could make sacrifice to the only god uh so uh you were required by law to go there 3 times a year for the pilgrim feasts and offer sacrifice so many of your most joyful memories of your childhood your adolescence and everything were tied up with Jerusalem and the, the the great reverence that people had for it, you know, we we have those scenes in the Gospels where the the apostles approach the city and they're 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 marveling at at the the glory of it, the the stones, everything. You know, uh, Herod had just rebuilt the temple and made it made it amazing. He built rebuilt it on a grand scale, outdoing even Solomon. It was said, and Solomon was one of the great architects of antiquity. So, so uh, Jerusalem is is indescribable. It's it's singular upon the earth, the only place where you can worship God with sacrifice. It's it's kind of the center of your life. It's the 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 way you pray. You you know, Jews in the diaspora and the dispersion, they always faced in the direction of Jerusalem when they prayed. Because it was the the special city of God's election, the city that that He gave to King David as His capital, and the city that was supposed to be, you know, the the the, the center of the Davidic kingdom forever. And they awaited a, a son of David who would reign as king from Jerusalem forever. So all of this was tied up with the Christians' memories. Uh, those first Christians, that first generation, uh, who lived in Jerusalem. Well, those of us who have family who was alive, who were alive at the time, or those of us who are alive, uh, you know, for for the later event, you know, an event like Pearl Harbor or yeah. the attacks of September 11th. I mean, they sort of 
color who, you know, they color the experience of an entire generation. So if you take that and, and I mean, that's the best way I could think of to even get even slightly at what must have been uh, the experience of those Jews when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and the ramifications it had for Jews, but also from Christians who so many of them had come from a Jewish heritage. Yes, and, you know, Christians knew that this was coming, in a sense, because Jesus had wept over Jerusalem for this reason. He foresaw it. He said there would not be one stone left on another. And indeed, when the rebellion uh, happened, and it dragged on for years with, with great casualties on both sides, the Romans were so enraged at the end that when they finally took the city after a long siege, they uh, they just leveled the city, not one stone left on another. And today, the only thing you can see left from the temple is the enormous retaining wall on the hill. You know, that's that's how the, 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 Romans, the Romans treated the city. Um, it was a catastrophe, and it was an immeasurable trauma for individuals. You know, when, you're, when your religious world, the center of your religious world is suddenly just shattered. Uh, something interesting happened, though. Uh, the Christians who were living in Jer Jerusalem received a prophecy, uh, and it was proclaimed in the liturgy a few years before that this was coming. Uh, and uh, and so they, they did vacate the city and they went to live in Pella. So the Christians uh, managed to escape the disaster. I'm sure they still felt the emotional toll of that trauma, but they were living safely at a distance by then, preserved by God, you know, for future evangelization. It is an extraordinary story, an extraordinary event, and it's such an important event that, well, it's hard to understand you know, how early Christianity becomes what early Christianity becomes without that in the backdrop. But, I mean, there's only so much time to do this, but who are some of the figures beyond the generation of the apostles who uh, either pilgrimage, made pilgrimage to Jerusalem or made Jerusalem kind of their headquarters? I want to I respond to something you said early on there, because it's a it's a very good observation, yeah, you know, that this was a major event for the Christians, because in, in, in the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, we read the oracle that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure offering would be made, not just in Jerusalem. And our Lord said this, uh, that the day was coming uh, when he when he spoke to um, the woman at the well in St. John's Gospel, that, that the day was coming when, when that pure sacrifice would be offered everywhere. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and the flight to Pella just confirmed that, that the Christians would take it outward from Jerusalem and that the perfect offering would be made in the sacrifice of the Mass. Um, there were many great figures after that, and we find that people are making pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem as early as Malik of Sardis, you know the the figure of um, of uh, the the figure that who made pilgrimage kind of a fad and really promoted uh, the industry of religious tourism was um, was the great Christian Empress Helena, uh, and she did that by by raising great basilicas in Jerusalem. There were there were other figures, great bishops, of course, like Cyril of Jerusalem, who was one of the most outstanding preachers in Christian antiquity. Uh, so, so Jeru Jerusalem remained uh, an important site. People would go there on pilgrimage. They would go there to be, be close to the memories of our Lord, and many of the great fathers did that. They either went on a brief pilgrimage or they moved to Jerusalem for a time or for the rest of their lives in order to be in those scenes from the gospel, so to speak. 
Uh, but Jerusalem never attained the importance in the Christian world that Alexandria did, or Antioch did, or Rome did, or even Constantinople did. Jerusalem was a, a relatively minor city, and maybe that had to happen it, to Jerusalem in order to, to uh, retrain the Christians for, um, for that perfect offering that's made in the Mass, and it's made everywhere on earth now. Well, thanks so much, Mike Aquilina. You can find his Way of the Fathers podcast uh, through Catholic Culture, and uh, it's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Anna Mitchell. Yes, Matt Swain. Uh, we ran uh, over on Father Rob's segment this morning. He was talking about the cycle oh, of the book no. of Judges. Oh, uh, no. You're not going to do this. I am going to do this. Uh, you don't even know the joke. But I know it's a joke, and okay. I know that you're That's the one That's enough for you to brace it. yourself. Yeah. So uh, we were talking about Samson there at the end, mm -hmm. and it's a long and complex story, and I made the mistake of asking him to kind of summarize it, which you can't really do. So we ran out of time for the joke, which is Anna Mitchell. Who was the best comedian in the Bible? Who? You already know the answer, but you have to say why. Who? Samson. Why? Because he brought down the house. Okay, now, who was the worst comedian in the Bible, Anna Mitchell? Why? No. <laughs> the worst comedian in the Bible is that dog from Proverbs 2611 because he kept going back to the same gag. Oh, man. That was terrible. It's terrible. That was terrible. Enjoy your breakfast, ladies and gentlemen. We got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up after the break, if you can take it. It's three minutes till. In this crazy. It is Wednesday, the twenty third of August, the feast of Saint Rose of Lima. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, you are in heaven. You hear our prayer. You created us from nothing. May we live always before you in thanksgiving and praise. You chose us out of love. May we grow daily in our love for you. You redeemed us through the gift of your Son's incarnation, death, and resurrection. May we think and act as faithful witnesses to the gospel. God, our Father, your love for the world you created is without measure. May we grow each day toward the fire of your love for us, reflected in and through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Rose of Lima, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you are hanging out with us on a Wednesday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And we will talk to Father Philip Michael Tangora about a difficult case. Uh, many of you have been following through various other media outlets. We've not said a ton about it here. Uh, but the case of the Carmelite Convent in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And just a whole lot of drama. Uh, Father Philip Michael Tangora is a canon lawyer. And maybe will help us understand a little bit beyond some of the uh, the tabloid version of that story hopefully carlo broussard is going to talk about 
uh, more things related to the new relativism. He's got a book on that for Catholic Answers. Russell Shaw has some thoughts on the American church. It's always great to catch up with him whenever he's written a book about that. And then on this feast of St. Rose of Lima, we'll talk to an artist who has depicted her, namely uh, Gwyneth Thompson Briggs, a sacred artist, and she'll share some thoughts on St. Rose. So stay with us if you can. Right now, it's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Much of the central United States is dealing today with what forecasters are calling an extremely dangerous heat dome. They say today's high temperatures could top 100 degrees in areas from the Midwest to the Gulf Coast. Major cities under extreme heat alerts this week include Dallas, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, Louisville, and Nashville. Schools in Chicago announced that all outdoor games scheduled for today and tomorrow have been canceled because of the heat. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and entrepreneur Vivek Ramswamy will stand center stage during tonight's presidential debate in Milwaukee. Mark Mayfield reports. While DeSantis is considered to be the strongest candidate to challenge the party's frontrunner Donald Trump, Recent polls have shown Ramaswamy edging closer to DeSantis for the number two spot. An Emerson College poll showed the two tied at 10% support each, trailing Trump, who leads with 56% support. Trump has decided to skip the debate and has instead recorded an interview with former Fox News host Tucker Carlson. I'm Mark Mayfield. Indiana's ban on abortions is now in effect. The Indiana Supreme Court announced Monday that it was denying a rehearing on the new abortion restrictions. That decision was then certified, allowing the law to now go into effect. Abortion is banned with the exception to prevent the death of the mother in the cases of rape or incest up to 10 weeks into pregnancy or in cases of fatal fetal anomalies up to 20 weeks into the pregnancy. Bishops in India are appealing to the United Nations to intervene to stop recurring anti-Christian violence. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In the statement, the Kerala Catholic Bishops' Council decried that Christians are increasingly becoming the target of riots and mob attacks in India and Pakistan. The statement referred in particular to the latest incidents in Indian Manipur state and in the Pakistani province of Punjab. Sectarian violence, mostly targeting tribal Kuki Christians, has been engulfing Manipur for more than three months, claiming nearly 200 lives and displacing over 50,000 people. During the violence, which erupted on May the 3rd, hundreds of churches and other Christian institutions, including schools, have been torched. The riots add to the some 400 incidents of targeted attacks against Christians in India in the first half of 2023, most of which under false allegations of religious conversion. In Jaranwala, Pakistan, more than 80 Christian homes and 19 churches were reportedly vandalised by Muslim mobs on August 16th, following false allegations of Quran desecration. The violence was the latest in a long string of attacks against Christians in Pakistan who are regularly victimised by the abuse of the highly controversial blasphemy laws, punishing individuals for allegedly offending, insulting or denigrating Islam and the Prophet. 
In the face of this situation, the Kerala bishops urged the United Nations to take decisive actions to protect Christians in India and Pakistan from this kind of attacks. The appeal came ahead of the International Day commemorating the victims of acts of violence based on religion or belief, which is observed annually on the 22nd of August. I am Lisa Zingarini. The Biden administration is rolling out its income-driven student loan repayment program. Trey Thomas reports. The saving on a value education plan will allow more borrowers to qualify for $0 monthly payments. Any individual making less than $32,800 a year and any family of four making less than $67,500 per year will have $0 payments. I'm Trey Thomas. And Loch Ness Monster Hunters are gathering in Scotland. The Loch Ness Center is expecting hundreds of people to participate in the Quest Weekend Hunt. Officials say it was 90 years ago when a hotel manager witnessed a water beast in the Loch Ness. The center says the voluntary research team Loch Ness Exploration will be using Drones with infrared cameras to detect anything beneath the surface. Volunteers from around the world will be participating in person and online this weekend to see if they can catch the mythical beast. Okay, so I was looking at pictures of Lake Ness in Scotland. Loch Ness. Loch. I mean, L-O-C-H is just lake in Scotland. Yes. Scottish or whatever their language is called. It sounds cooler in Scottish. Yeah. There's Deacon Graham Galloway to do the accent for us. But um, it is beautiful. Yeah. Like, I would totally go searching for the Loch Ness Monster just to get a vacation on that lake. Gorgeous. Well, I mean, Gorgeous. why not? Maybe, I mean, uh, <laughs> maybe I... you can do that. Maybe you can do that, Anna Mitchell. Maybe you can go out with the Monster Hunters. Hey, so... <laughs> So what does the Loch Ness Monster use to wrap his presents? Oh, no. I knew that this was going to lead to something. Scotch tape. I got one, one more for you. One more for you. What does the, the Loch Ness Monster have for, for dinner? What, Matt? Fish and ships. Okay, I, I, think we've, I, I think almost, we've lost I almost I think laughed. Out I almost laughed. Almost. Almost. Well, clear the air for that one. All right. Got to regain my composure here. The Sunrise Morning Show continues on to more serious matters. Uh, Father Philip Michael Tangora now joins us. He's a canon lawyer and pastor from the Diocese of Patterson, New Jersey. And uh, we often tap his expertise and experience for what can be uh, very often confusing cases in uh, the life of the church. Father, good morning. Good morning, everybody. So I know that uh, a lot of various media outlets, including a lot of secular media outlets, have been reporting on the case of a Carmelite convent uh, in the Diocese of Fort Worth, Texas. Some uh, scandals uh, allegedly involving situations of infidelity and canon law and a spat between the nuns and their bishop. If you could uh, give us the 50,000-foot view of this, and then we can maybe talk about some of the implications of the latest in the story. Sure. Uh, So it all started with allegations of the fact that Mother uh, 
Teresa Agnes Gerlach had a online sexual relationship with a priest. Uh, that has been verified as true. And what wound up happening was uh, she's claiming that it was because of her being heavily medicated at the time that she was lacking the proper uh, wherewithal to control her actions. So there is a question, a reasonable question about her uh, diminished culpability in any actions that occurred. Obviously, the on the part of the priest, that's a totally different situation. Um, he wasn't being heavily medicated at the time. And this has then led to the uh, uh, to Rome appointing Bishop Olson as the pontifical commissary. Uh, so a, a particular uh, role given by uh, the authority of the Pope to Bishop Olson to investigate and take over the, uh, the control of major decisions at that monastery from Mother uh, Agnes Gerlach uh, to investigate and to try and bring uh, the, the situation in that Carmel under uh, better control and better leadership uh, and during that period of time, uh, now Mother Agnes has uh, publicly, in writing, repudiated the diocesan bishop's authority to have any ability to govern uh, and or advise and oversight of that Carmel. All right. This so... is an act of schism well you just answered my next question so yeah. uh, uh i mean i have lots and lots of questions about this um sure one would be who do the nuns answer to at the end of the day canonically speaking um you know the uh, at the most like subsidiarity level the sisters in the convent answer to the mother superior but who's the mother superior answer to up the chain of command and how far up can she appeal that depends upon the uh, structurization of that Carmel. Most female Carmels tend to be uh, what's called an autonomous monastery. So each one's prioress is subject directly to Roman oversight, the diocesan bishops oversight and Rome. Uh, some are uh, subjected to the male superior general of the Carmelite order. Uh, ultimately, all of them would be in some ways. Uh, <clears throat> but the situation uh, is that uh, they would ultimately be subject to the, the Holy Roman uh, Pontiff. And by repudiating the diocesan bishop, Bishop Olson of Fort Worth, Texas, who is also the pontifical commissary, so appointed by Rome in this special function, uh, for this period of time of, of over, greater oversight and visitation. Um, this is an act of rejection, of repudiation of the diocesan bishop and of the authority of Rome to place Bishop Olson in that particular role. Uh, and that's that would constitute as an act, a schismatic act, because schism has as the object the repudiation and disobedience and rejection of the authority of the Roman pontiff 
as well as the repudiation of the diocesan bishop. It, they're removing themselves from the communion of the church. Yeah, and there's some complications of this by uh, releasing a statement of support by Archbishop Vigano, who's got all kinds of complicated questions related to his the way that he's spoken yes, about. Yes, uh, and very authority. sadly, they're also making it about the liturgy, which they should, you know, I really, it breaks my heart whenever somebody tries to use the traditional liturgy to be yet another wedge driven between them and Rome. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good in a number of ways. Um, so there, there are all these things going on. I have, man, I, I wish we had more time for this. Uh, so let's say you're a sister in the convent and you don't usually use the internet that much. And so you don't know much except for maybe what's coming through the Mother Superior, <laughs> right? Yes. Who, I, as I understand, is still in charge as far as the sisters are concerned. I mean, what's your recourse in this situation? Are you under the impression that you're bound to the Mother Superior or to the bishop or to— I mean, They would how- be— they would probably be influenced very heavily by believing that they have to follow their mother in this regard, because that is the, the spirituality of the Carmelite uh, order. Uh, This would be a matter of pure schism. It's not heretical schism because there's no uh, heretical teaching involved. Uh, And if, I mean, Rome tends to be fair and balanced in this kind of thing. And Honestly, you would have to say, okay, Mother Agnes has repudiated the the, the office of the diocesan bishop and his role as uh, pontifical commissary. Uh, but I, I would I I would hope that there would be that kind of discretion that would say each sister needs to be looked at individually and not as a collective whole, because uh, I doubt that every single one of those sisters uh, truly intends to enter schism. And it's sad that uh, a, a this all could have been avoided with a little bit of humility and prudence on the, on the behalf of Mother uh, Gerlach, because if she had had humility and prudence, she would have said, all right, I'm incredibly infirmed. I probably really shouldn't be in the role of the prioress of this Carmel anymore anyway, just because of my health. I did engage in this act, whether I bear full culpability for the act or not. Um, you know what? In humility, I'm going to just step it's time down for somebody else to be and this, allow a conventional chapter to have postulated the name of a new prioress to the diocesan bishop, and this would have most likely have been avoided. Well, and not to go down another rabbit hole, but you know, very often uh, the thing that causes the the big blow up is the last thing in a long chain of various things that have happened as part of a, a building absolutely tension in a relationship uh on church matters it's always it's always a string of things it's never just the one thing in my experience so absolutely that's correct. where we got to leave it unfortunately father have a wonderful day appreciate your time you too all right 17 past we're back with headlines right after that The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all-day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, resuscitation of the rosary, a fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and mass with Father James Brent as homilus. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady. For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. 
For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If your cable or satellite provider doesn't carry EWTN's full programming lineup, give them a call and let them know you would like to receive EWTN 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. For more information, go to EWTN.com and click on Television. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Much of the central U.S. is dealing with an extremely dangerous heat dome today. The ban on abortion in the state of Indiana has now gone into effect. And Cardinal Timothy Dolan will be in Northern Ireland this weekend to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the dedication of St. Patrick's Cathedral in Armagh news at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And uh, Anna Mitchell, just in reference to our conversation with Father Tangora just now, I just want that to point out that was such a helpful conversation. I do not uh, ever try and put myself forward as a journalist, so usually you get the newsy interviews, but right. I do have some questions about certain things. Yeah, well, you had good questions. And I don't enjoy talking about things that are, you know, conflicts in the life of the church i'd rather talk about conflicts in the life of the church that happened in like the third or fourth century Mm -hmm. that's more my wheelhouse sure 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 it's safer it is safer but i would say that uh the temptation can be to stop and look at the car crash and forget to pray for the people involved in every aspect of the conversation i just want to put the admonition out there that when we report on the news in the sunrise morning show it is probably like 25 percent to keep you informed and uh, up to date on what's happening. It's 75% to let you know what you should be praying about today. Yeah. So that's kind of the that's kind of the approach. At least yeah. in, my, in my mind, that's my approach. Oh, absolutely. We're just giving you your list of prayer requests for the day. <laughs> yep. I think that that's um, that's a good way of putting it, Matt. I think a lot of a lot of listeners when they hear these stories really are spurred on to prayer. For yeah. sure, which is I hope so. You know, I hope and pray. It's 21 minutes past the hour. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonrisemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with a Marian Thought. One of the many titles given to Mary is Gate of Heaven. This image applies to Mary in two ways. In God's divine plan, he chose a lowly maiden from Nazareth to be the portal through which the Son of God comes into the world. At the same time, Mary is the gateway that leads to life with her Son. It is true that there are many ways to Christ, but as Catholics we believe the surest way is through Mary. She is not only the gate, but the gatekeeper. She intercedes for us to her Son, that we may enter heavenly life with him. Bishop Sheen understood this image well when he wrote that when he died, the words he hoped to hear from Jesus were these, My mother has spoken well of you. As we approach the Lord, let us ask Mary to speak well of us, so that with her help we may share in God's glory. Mary, gate of heaven, pray for us. It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Carlo Broussard. He's an apologist with Catholic Answers. You can listen to his Sunday Catholic Word podcast at mrsundaypodcast.com. He'd love to speak at your parish. You can invite him through catholicanswerspeakers.com, and we're going through his book, the New Relativism, Unmasking the Philosophy of Today's Woke Moralists. Carla, welcome back. Anna, thanks for having me back. You bet. So we have been talking about the relativism found within what you have dubbed thou shalt not impose. That being the claim that we should not try to persuade people to believe in the truth. They think that this is imposing what you believe on others. And I think one of the most obvious counterpoints here is that they're applying a double standard. And what's more is that in most instances, they're selectively applying this double standard. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. So these this would these two lines of reasoning would constitute a general res, general response to the modern absolute itself. There are specific reasons why. Some within our culture will say thou shalt not impose, and we can deal with those in a moment. But with regard to the double standard, that's that becomes very clear if we were to simply ask the person imposing this standard upon us, are you expecting me to abide by this absolute? Like, do you really expect for me to not go and persuade others that they should believe what I believe? And if so then aren't you, quote-unquote, imposing your belief upon me? Mm -hmm. Because they believe I ought not to go and persuade others to believe what I believe. And so in in saying that I should not, they are imposing their belief upon me and interpreting imposition as persuading. They're trying to persuade me to adopt their belief. And so the question becomes, Anna, well, why can't I go and persuade others? But you can. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a double standard here. Now, with regard to the selectivity of the double standard or even the principle itself, thou shalt not impose, 
it's only restricted to religious beliefs and moral beliefs. They don't. They they never impose the principle or the command when it comes to say physics. Anna, could you imagine? We're in physics class, right? And our professor's up there uh, at the board, and he's writing out some equation. And we say, hey, look, Doc, uh, you have your views on the laws of thermodynamics, and that's great. <laughs> you do you, man, but don't impose them on the rest of the class. <laughs> uh, yeah, That's absurd, right? Yep. So notice how people within our modern culture who impose this moral absolute only do so when it comes with religion and morals. And to say without a principled reason that the absolute binds in one category of beliefs, but not in another, that's just simply to enact an arbitrary standard. And so if this ever comes up in conversation, folks can use these two strategies uh, to, to navigate it. Yeah. Now, a lot of the people who subscribe to this kind of thinking are basically of the thought, you know, if we just keep our mouths shut on faith and morals, we'll all get along. I mean, they think about this on a small scale, like between you and me, Carlo, but also on a big scale, like in terms of peace. Um, but yeah. how is that a, a self-defeating argument? Yeah, so the idea is if we try to go and persuade others, then we'll, it'll lead to conflict and violence, Right. Mm -hmm. Well, notice if somebody's trying to persuade me to believe that, Anna, there's it's it's possible. We see right away that there's no conflict or violence because whenever they're trying to persuade me, there's no conflict and violence <laughs> happening. Right. <laughs> so I've never I'm, seen you, know, you punch anyone in an argument. Right. Yeah, that's right. If I'm talking to my neighbor over the fence or, or talking to somebody at the barista and they try to impose that belief upon me. I'm not reacting in an aggressive way and engaging in violent actions. And so right there, you have a case in point where persuasion of to persuasion, persuading another to believe what you believe does not lead to violence. And so the very rationale for the moral command itself is falsified, right? Now, we intuitively recognize that we shouldn't reject persuasion of belief just simply because sometimes it might lead to violence and conflict. I mean, for example, Anna, people fight over land all the time, right? right? That's a source of conflict, land. But that doesn't mean we should like reject the idea of having our private lands. Oh, Carlo, don't so suggest the idea. You never know what people <laughs> will start to decide that they'll believe. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so too, just, just because persuading others to believe what I believe might in some cases lead to violence and conflict, that doesn't mean we need to reject persuasion of belief itself. And the reason why, Anna, is that whenever there is unjust violence that comes about from trying to persuade another to believe what you believe, a plausible explanation for that unjust violence could be the perversion of the desire to persuade. It could be due to the individual himself who lacks character and patience and charity for the other individual who he's trying to persuade. And the unjust violence is due to vice and sin rather than persuasion itself. So just very quickly, what would be your alternative here? Thou shalt persuade. Why? 
because truth matters, Anna, yes. and truth is perfective of our nature as human beings, and it is in truth that we will find our authentic human happiness. So if we think we have the truth, out of goodwill for the other, we ought to try to persuade them to adopt it. Amen to that. We've been talking to Carlo Broussard. You can find his book and links to invite him to speak over at sunrisemorningshow.com. Carlo, thank you. Thank you, Anna. God bless. You too, thanks. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Harold has been downgraded to a tropical depression after making landfall as a tropical storm in South Texas yesterday. Forecasters say it is still forecast to bring heavy rains and powerful winds to the region as it continues to move inland. There are chances of local flash flooding. More than a million people had been under tropical storm warnings. Harold's expected to dissipate sometime today. This is the second named storm to hit the U.S. this week after tropical storm Hillary brought record-breaking rainfall to Southern California. Elsewhere, much of the central U.S. is dealing with what forecasters are calling an extremely dangerous heat dome. They say today's high temperatures could top 100 degrees in many areas from the Midwest to the Gulf Coast. Former President Trump's arraignment in Georgia is expected to be televised. Brian Shook reports. The judge overseeing his election interference case ruled Tuesday that cameras will be allowed in the courtroom through September 8th. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is pushing to hold the arraignments for all the defendants until after Labor Day. Trump and 18 others were charged last week in connection to alleged efforts to overturn the state's 2020 election results. The former president's expected surrender Thursday is separate from any arraignments. I'm Brian Shook. Republican presidential candidates, meanwhile, will be facing off on the debate stage in Milwaukee this evening. Eight candidates, not former President Trump, will be participating in this first debate of the 2024 presidential primary. Indiana's ban on abortion is now in effect. The Indiana Supreme Court announced Monday it would be denying a hearing on the new abortion restrictions, a rehearing on the new abortion restrictions, and that decision was then certified, allowing the law to go into effect. Abortion is now banned, but has exceptions to prevent the death of the mother in the cases of rape or incest up to 10 weeks and in cases of fatal fetal anomalies up to 20 weeks into pregnancy. Cardinal Timothy Dolan will be in Northern Ireland this weekend to preside at a Mass of Thanksgiving to commemorate the 150th anniversary tomorrow of the dedication of St. Patrick's Cathedral in Armagh. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. For the special occasion, the American prelate from St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City will be the main celebrant and preacher at a Mass of Thanksgiving in the cathedral this Sunday at 11. All are welcome to attend the Mass that will be a celebration to give praise and thanks to God for the faith expressed within the cathedral. The foundation stone of the cathedral was laid by Archbishop and Primate William Crawley on St. Patrick's Day in 1840, but all building work was later suspended due to the famine and fun raised were distributed for the relief of the poor. In 1854, work on the cathedral resumed after Easter. Under the leadership of Primate Joseph Dixon, it was Primate Daniel McGettigan who oversaw the completion of the building and declared Sunday the 24th of August, 1873, as the day of opening and dedication. Massive crowds from all over Ireland and beyond attended the opening. 
Archbishop Eamon Martin has invited the people of Ireland and around the world, especially those whose ancestors contributed to the construction of the cathedral, to join in joyful prayers at Thanksgiving on this special anniversary. The primate of all Ireland and Armagh's Archbishop also invited all who wish to attend the celebrations together with the faith community of the Archdiocese, representing the many generations who have passed through the doors of the cathedral over the past century and a half. This week, on Thursday, the 24th of August, an outdoor celebration for families will take place in the Shambles Yard in Armagh at the cathedral's main gates after 5 o'clock. For all families throughout the Archdiocese and beyond, there will be music, entertainment, and activities. Groups and organizations from across the Archdiocese will follow bands and procession from the Shambles Yard to the cathedral for evening prayer. During the evening prayer, there will be a special unveiling and dedication of a specially commissioned icon of St. Patrick. After the ceremony, a print of the icon will be presented to each parish of the Archdiocese. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The Biden administration is announcing a new income-based student loan repayment plan. The Saving on Value Education Plan will allow more borrowers to qualify for a $0 monthly payment. Any individual making less than $32,800 or any family of four making less than $67,500 can get $0 payments. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the... This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks... What do we promise in baptism? In baptism, we promise to renounce the devil with all his works. The notion of baptism is that we are now turning our back upon what is evil and we are pointed toward what is good. Behind us is darkness, before us is light. Behind us is the world and before us is heaven. And so baptism implies a conscious choice. If the baptism is done for a child, the conscious choice is that of its parents. If baptism is of an adult, then the adult himself must bear witness that he is putting behind him Satan, and he is putting before him Christ. And so then we can say that baptism is always contingent upon the will of the person being baptized. Let us ask our Lord that we might be faithful to the promises of baptism and thereby prepare ourselves for all of the graces given through that sacrament. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and it's always great to have back Russell Shaw, who, along with David Byers, has a new book called Revitalizing Catholicism in America, Nine Tasks for Every Catholic. Russell, welcome back. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. 
So, according to the internet, looking around the social media, I have seen plenty of people who say that there's only one thing that needs to happen to revitalize Catholicism in America, and it tends to be whatever the hobby horse is. Uh, and conversely, I know some people who have about a 5,000-point list of what has to happen to revitalize the church. So how did you settle on nine tasks for every Catholic here? Well, we, it wasn't an, it was it was a pretty arbitrary uh, decision, you know. I, we, I thought I I thought, and Dave Dave joined me in this uh, of as many uh, specific activities and, and responses as, as seemed really re- relevant. But we didn't try; weren't aiming for any particular number. Just happened to come out at nine. Actually, it's number one and two are the ones that really matter. And number one is uh, heed. The universal call to holiness, with the Second Vatican Council's way of saying that we all ought to be saints. And number two is uh, discern, accept, and live out your personal vocation, which uh, is absolutely crucial to this notion of uh, rescuing Catholicism, if you will. Well, those sound like really revolutionary and interesting ideas, except they're embedded in all... <laughs> Christians of goodwill of every era, right? I mean, in some ways, uh, this isn't new information. Uh, but, you know, I think that there is uh, very much a sense uh, among lay Catholics that that we have a bigger role in this than some of us might have thought in previous generations. Of course, I'm a Catholic convert, so this is always sort of textbook stuff for us. You know, you follow Jesus, you have a big job to do now, you got to go uh, share that with the whole wide world, and Catholics have, I think, caught on more uh, in the in you know recent years than they perhaps did in you know the eighties. But there's still a lot of work to do here, right? Well, indeed, yes. You know, uh, do the lay people have a, a larger responsibility now than in the past? I would I would say they do, and the reason is, is uh, somewhat disturbing. It uh, lies in the fact that the, the number of Catholic priests in the United States has dropped very substantially in recent years, and uh, it's going to continue dropping for an uh, uncertain amount of time in the future. And what that means, basically, is that either a lot of the things that we've counted on priests to do are not going to get done, or they are going to have to be done by lay people, and that's what our book is uh, urging laity to face up to. You can sit on your hands and, and watch what happens from the sidelines, but you aren't going to like it if you <laughs> what you see if you do that. The only way to uh, make the crisis of the church a little less painful than it's going to be is to pitch in and lend a hand and uh, do your bit as an active and, and committed Catholic layperson. Well, I think part of this, too, comes from some confusion, perhaps picked up from our Protestant brothers and sisters, about what a priest is for. And uh, there are people who would advocate for different kinds of uh, groups being admitted to the priesthood because of this misunderstanding. Um, Really, the priest is there to help give us the sacraments. Uh, The priest doesn't have to be the building manager. The priest doesn't have to be the person who oversees the repaving of the parking lot. The priest doesn't have to be, you know, the guy who runs the finance committee. The priest doesn't have to be any of those things. Uh, the priest very often is. The priest very often can be. But I think as lay people, you know, those would be some pretty good places for us to do a better job of stepping up so the priest can do what the priest is built for. 
Oh, you're 100% correct. You know, canon law requires that uh, the parish have a, a priest as, as pastor, but there's no job description of, uh, of pastor in, uh, in canon law. And as a matter of fact, your way of putting it, I think, is, is 100% correct, that the fundamental task of the priest is pastoral and sacramental. And uh, the administrative side of, of pastoring could very well be handled by lay people. And as a matter of fact, as time passes and the shortage of priests increases, more and more lay men and women are stepping up as uh, uh, administrators of parishes. Well, I've found that in uh, my own parish and the parishes that I've been in, sometimes uh, these summer months where you have a lot of the uh, the priests getting reshuffled and sent to different parishes and things get mixed up a little bit, uh, this can either, well, I mean, it can be a real gut check for parishes <laughs> to say, are we who we are because of the last guy who was our pastor, or are we who we are because of, you know, who we are to this community, and you know, sometimes if you lean too hard on one priest and the priest moves on to another parish after six or seven years, that can reveal a lot of things. Or it can reveal, uh, you know, some of the strengths of what that parish community is to really step up and say, hey, uh, it doesn't matter which pastor we get in. We're going to welcome him. We're going to work alongside him. And in this time where we're figuring things out, we're all going to step up and make this transition happen. I mean, you can see it as either a liability or an opportunity. Well, I would wish that uh, you know the people of every parish would love their pastor, or, or at least like him pretty well. But, but uh, as for a personality cult of the sort you described, no, that's 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 unhealthy, and uh, where where it occasionally happens uh, just leads to problems for everybody—the parish and the, and the priest and everybody concerned. So um, love your pastor, but. Uh, be quite ready to welcome a new pastor when he arrives on the scene. And yeah, there's a there's a lot more in your book. Um, I really encourage people to go check it out. Every time you write on Catholicism, any of your books that have Catholicism in America in the title, Russell, they're on my shelf. So well, God uh, bless you. <laughs> thank you for continuing to reflect on these things, and you've got a lot of great experience that you bring to bear on the questions. We've got your book, Revitalizing Catholicism in America, Nine Tasks for Every Catholic, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks again, Russell Shaw. Have a wonderful day. You too. All right, again, uh, head over to sunrisemorningshow.com. Head over to our Facebook page, Anna Mitchell. I just post something kind of cool. A uh, video that went up this morning for the Coming Home Network. I had a chance a, a little while ago to record uh, an episode of Coming Home Network Presents with a couple of minor league baseball players. Oh, cool. Uh, one was a Methodist convert. Uh, he and his wife are on the podcast, and another guy is a Catholic uh, who kind of fell away and came back, uh, Dan Venezia, who's actually been a guest on this show. And it's a short. It's only about three or four minutes long, but I got to ask them about repetition in the batting cage and repetition taking ground balls, and how their experience of doing that in baseball helped each of them kind of understand what the church is trying to get you to do mm. in repetitions like the Divine Mercy Chaplet and the Rosary and oh. the Order and Rhythm of Mass. Oh, my gosh. It's kind of a cool conversation. Can you like, oh. get one of them on the show to talk about it for like seven or eight minutes? I think that'd be fun. I think that would be... So you cool. should go watch the video. Uh, Dan's already, like I say, we had Dan Venezi on uh, earlier. He's, he played for the Twins. Wade yep. played in the Twiger, Tigers organization. So we got our, uh, awesome. our Minnesota listeners and our um, 
our uh, Ave Maria listeners covered after all the disrespect you showed them yesterday by talking about the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah. Wow. We've got a Detroit Tiger minor league guy posted on our Facebook page. We're making uh, we're making amends. You know. We're making amends. We, uh, we try to be diplomatic whenever possible. Indeed. Well, we don't always try. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> At any rate, sunrisemorningshow.com, click on our Facebook page and uh, check out that video on baseball fundamentals and the rosary. We're back right after this. It's 14 till. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share. 844-334-3245. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. Why do we need to pray? We don't pray because God needs our prayers. We pray because we need God's grace. And every day... When I face the day, I realize I have no idea what I'm doing, (laughs) and I need God to walk me through my day, step by step, giving me the grace, the counsel, the love, the encouragement that enables me to glorify Him in everything that I do and become the person He wants me to be. Prayer is my lifeline. Join us to talk all about relationships. We'd love for you to chime in today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 Till, here's Anna with headlines. Much of the central United States is dealing with what forecasters are calling an extremely dangerous heat dome today. The ban on abortion in Indiana is now going into effect, and bishops in India are appealing to the United Nations to intervene to stop recurring anti-Christian violence. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. The Sunrise Morning Show continues with Gwyneth Thompson Briggs. She's an artist featured in the Catholic Home Gallery from Ignatius Press. And you can find her art online at GwynethThompsonBriggs.com. Gwyneth, welcome back. Thanks so much. How are you doing this morning? I am doing just fine and really excited to talk to you because you recently completed a painting that I think is just beautiful of St. Rose of Lima, and we're going to be talking about that. It is her feast day after all. But first, I know that you are still allowing some last-minute additions 
to like a painting retreat on a private island. Is that is that right? Yes. Oh, my goodness. This is a great opportunity through the uh, St. Edmunds Retreat Center. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it before, but they have all sorts of wonderful programs for amateur and professional sacred artists alike. That's so um, cool. So, yeah, this is out in Connecticut, and uh, the class that I'm teaching will be starting um, on uh, uh, on Sunday, August 27th, so that's just in a few days. You've got to be pretty spontaneous if you're up for it, but it'll be worth it. <laughs> we have a, I bet we have a couple of spontaneous listeners right now, so maybe this is the Holy Spirit tugging at them. Uh, where can they sign up if they decide to be spontaneous? Um, yeah, just go uh, look up Ender's Island, and you'll see a, a great list uh, of the courses. And the, the class that I'm teaching is called Painting in Zerberan's Shadow, and that's with Gwyneth Thompson Briggs. And really, this is a great opportunity for someone who's really been interested in oil painting and just has never, you know, gotten the opportunity to take the leap. And um, this is a medium that's wonderful to work in, but it can be a little um, scary to, if you've never done it, to get out all the paints and make the investment in brushes, things like that. Um, but I'll be there to, to walk you through everything. Nice. Well, like I said, you recently finished a beautiful painting of St. Rose of Lima alongside her friend, St. Martin de Porres. Was this a commission or what inspired you to paint this pair? Yeah, this pair is for uh, a church out in Minnesota. And I was just so thrilled because they were interested in um, in allowing me to work big, you know, close to life size. And that's the size that you need to be in order to really get to, um, I don't know, just explore the personality of a, of a portrait using sort of the Baroque technique. Um, but I was just now checking on the, the shipping status and it is set to arrive today. Nice. So um, please pray for everyone at UPS. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I hope, um, I don't know, I'm always just a little nervous until it, these paintings are safely where they're supposed to go. Oh, I believe it. Well, knowing the power of the prayer of St. Rose of Lima and of St. Martin de Porres, for that matter, um, I think you've got some good intercessors in that regard, particularly on her feast day. Now, when you knew that you were going to paint St. Rose, how did you research her life to get you set for that? Well, you know, I think um, God took care of the first phase in... <laughs> sending me to Lima itself when I was about 25. I was having my wow. quarterly life crisis. And um, so I, I had been at a job I was unhappy with. Um, and then I quit and took a job teaching at a little Catholic school in, in Lima, Peru. And um, so it, it turned out during the course of my time there, I actually got to visit her birthplace and see the little hermitage that she had built with her hands beside her family home. Um, I guess the, uh, the mosquitoes were pretty, were pretty awful in this, this little mud hut that she created. So at one point she, she made a deal with them. She said, if you leave me alone, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you alone. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, it, it, that was kind of how everything started, but, um, uh, as I worked on the painting, it has just been uh, 
really fascinating to learn all about how the traditional um, Dominican habit was assembled. I was able to borrow one for the painting. And then also, you know, even things like um, I I commissioned a friend of mine to make a really beautiful uh, floral garland for her hair that involved some more um, types of exotic uh, flowers as well as uh, roses um, that we typically see, um, see her depicted with. Yeah. Well, that's probably my favorite part of the painting is is that that crown of flowers that she has on her head. Now, I want to talk about the one thing that most people probably know about St. Rose's story. Tell us about how you chose to paint her skin. Um, yeah, well, you know, uh, um, she actually, I think in the documentation, um, she was she was blonde um, and um I was like looking at a lot of different um, uh, images of just Peruvian women and um, thinking about sort of my time there in Peru. And so I actually drew from a lot of different models and included um, uh, women with more olive skin and also young girls to kind of have um, this this youthful sort of um, innocence that I wanted to imbue her with. Um, but also in um, painting technique, I used sort of a, a new approach to me, but that's been sort of turned to for a very long time, which is to um, paint the entire figure in uh, what's called a grisaille, which is just black and white, and then lay all the colors on top as kind of a transparent glaze. So this is really um, a striking technique that, that we often don't see anymore in our time of uh, in the modern era, we most people use what's known as direct painting. Well, what I think is so incredible about the way that this turned out for you is that you can see that there is like this redness on her skin, but the way that you've painted it, it almost looks like she just has rosy cheeks. I mean, it's like you know what that is, and yet you see the beauty of the saint within it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, it always, I, you know, I think a lot of people ascribe much more control to artists than they actually have, but I always just feel like I'm, you know, riding on a stagecoach behind a bunch of galloping horses, like, hanging on for dear life, and I say, well, it feels like the painting's going in this direction, I better go with it. <laughs> and, um, and uh, yeah, there's always this incredible magic as you're watching the canvas continue to change, and you can sort of nudge it one way or another but um but really there's a lot of um of uh, of prayer involved as you go oh i believe it we've been talking to gwyneth thompson briggs you can find her website linked at sunrisemorningshow.com where you can see more of her artwork and uh you can also sign up for that painting retreat that painting class that she's teaching on enders island gwyneth it was so good to talk to you thank you so much you as well. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Happy Feast of St. Rose of Lima, everyone. That'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.